Hey, Wiki listeners, it's Rachel. And Victor, did you know I host the fantastic NYC Talent Show every Monday night at the Parkside Lounge in New York City? It's an off-off Broadway showcase where you can see New York's underground performance art up close. We've got weekly special guests like Colin Quinn, Janine Garofalo, Tone Bell, and lots more. Use the code WIKILISTEN for a special discount on tickets when you go to nyctalentshow.com. That's nyctalentshow.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Wikipedia page for Anna Feral Child. Welcome to Wikilisten, the podcast where we read Wikipedia pages and provide commentary. I am Victor Vernado, KSN. And I am Rachel Teichman, LMSW, reminding you to subscribe. That's right, everybody. Subscribe to this podcast so that we know you're there. This is an article about a child that is feral. I mean, it's really self-explanatory. So every once in a while, kids are born in situations where they go feral. And feral kids are hard, you know? That's true. And I've definitely heard of Anna. I feel like I watched a documentary on her or something. If She's who I'm thinking of. But I feel like the phrase feral child at some point is going to be sought after by the PC police. And like we won't be allowed to say feral child for much longer. I have no idea why you feel that way. And also, I don't want to get into it. Anna, feral child. This article needs additional citations for verification. Please help improve this article by adding citations to reliable sources. Unsourced material may be challenged and removed. Find sources Anna Farrell Child News Newspapers Books Scholar JSTOR January 2018. Learn how and when to remove this template message. Alice Marie Harris, March 6, 1932 to August 6, 1942, known under the pseudonym Anna, was a feral child from Pennsylvania who was raised in isolation because she was an illegitimate child. 
From the age of five months to six years, she was kept strapped down in the attic of her home, malnourished and unable to speak or move. She was discovered and rescued in 1938, but died at the age of 10 before she was able to fully recover from hemorrhagic jaundice. Anna is often compared to the feral children cases of Isabel and Jeannie. This has gotten yep. off to a very sad start. Yep, I've definitely watched documentaries that included Anna and Jeannie, for sure. Poor Anna. Yep, poor Anna. Family. Anna was born March 6, 1932 in Periopolis, Pennsylvania, about 17 miles, 27 kilometers outside of Uniontown. She was the second illegitimate child of her mother, Martha Harris, who was 27 at the time of Anna's discovery. She lived with Anna's grandfather, David Harris, a widower farmer who strongly disapproved of her mother's indiscretions. After Anna was found, Martha married a man named George I. Eisenhower. Martha died in Philadelphia in 1959. David Harris died at the age of 72 in 1948. His other children included daughter Catherine and sons Jacob and Harold. Early Life Anna was born in a nurse's private home and was brought to the family farm, but shortly after was sent to live at her mother's friend's house. A local minister considered adopting Anna, but decided against it when he discovered she had vaginitis. Jesus what is, Christ. What is vaginitis? Is, it's a basic, it's just a basic infection that is relatively easily treated. Now, it's a little weird that she had it so young, but it can happen. But for the minister to refuse adopting her based on a bacterial infection, that's crazy. Now, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah. At, the age of, at the age of three weeks, Anna was sent to live in a children's home. There, she was said to be terribly galled and otherwise in very bad shape. After eight weeks in the home, Anna's mother was called to come collect her. In her place, she sent a man and his wife to see Anna in hopes of adopting her. But the agency refused to give permission because they disapproved of the couple. <sighs> wow. Later, the mother came herself and gave Anna to the couple. A short time after, a social worker found Anna at this home and attempted to convince her mother and grandfather to take her back. At this time, Anna was over four months old. She was taken to another children's home where a medical examination revealed she had vaginitis, umbilical hernia, and a skin rash. Anna was sent to a private foster home after three weeks in the children's home. This is some very bad parenting, uh, social work, ministering, just one on top of the other. This is crazy. Everybody had it out for Anna. Because the mother and the grandfather could not pay for the child's care, she was sent back to live on the family farm at the age of five and a half months. In an attempt to avoid her father's anger, Martha kept her in an attic-like room on the second floor. Her mother was busy working on the farm during the day and occasionally went out at night. Anna was given only enough care to keep her alive and received no instruction or positive attention. She was fed virtually nothing but cow's milk and was strapped down to a chair or a cot for the majority of her early life. An article in the New York Times stated that Anna had been kept in the attic room, which was without windows or ventilation, for two years and then kept for three more years in the storage room in the second floor. However, a later report in the American Journal of Sociology by Kingsley Davis considers it 
doubtful that the child's hands at the time of discovery were tied. It is more likely that she was confined to her crib in the first period of life and at all times kept locked in her room to keep her from falling down the steep stairs leading immediately from the door and to keep the grandfather from seeing her. It is doubtful if the child was ever kept in the attic, as the report also stated. Doubtful based on what, like, I'm wondering why this report is making the situation sound better. Like, I just want to know what their evidence is. Well, I bet that if you read uh, the Davis K. 1940 Extreme Social Isolation of a Child, the American Journal of Sociology, 45, you'll probably find it. You know what? You're right. Because that's the Mm -hmm. source. When interviewed by officers, David Harris stated, I made her keep it up there, care for it, and feed it as a sort of punishment. I forgave her first illegitimate child, but not the second. The same New York Times article quotes Martha, My father wouldn't let me bring it downstairs. He said he didn't want to see it around. I had to run up and down to feed and take care of it. I had to feed it all the time. It was awfully hard. Why they they don't call her by her name? This, oh, I hate these people. The name of the father was withheld, but Martha said the girl's father was a well-to-do farmer. Hey, everybody, it's time for a break. We're going to listen to this message to support Wikilisten. Thank you. Thanks for supporting Wikilisten by listening to that message. Awesome. Take it away. Let's find out about this rescue. Rescue. Anna was discovered around February 6, 1938, by E.M. Smith of the Western Pennsylvania Humane Society, about 17 miles from Uniontown, Pennsylvania. The humane officer found the child after a report had been filed from the Women's Club of Star Junction. Other reports had also been spread that a child was kept in the house, yet she was never seen by visitors. When Anna was found, the humane officer reported that the child was dressed in a dirty shirt and napkin. Her hands, arms, and legs were just bones with skin drawn over them, so frail she couldn't use them. She never grew normally, and the chair on which she lay half reclining and half sitting was so small that the child had to double her legs partly under her. The chair that she was found in was tilted backwards to lean on a coal bucket with her arms tied above her head, leaving her unable to talk or move. Charges of negligence to a minor were brought against Harris and Martha. The grandfather was freed after Judge J. Russell Carr dismissed the case for lack of evidence. What? Yeah. Dr. John Kerr of Connellsville testified at the trial. He declared, It was about the most deplorable condition I have ever seen in all those years. He testified that she had a severe lack of muscle, abnormal bones, and that she couldn't see or hear. He believed that had she been properly nourished, she would have been a normal child. Martha, her mother, claimed that she tried feeding her child meat and other solid foods, but that they made her gag. She denied the statements that the child had been kept imprisoned in an attic. Oh my god. This is just so crazy. I wish I had a time machine and a katana sword. Recovery. When Anna was first rescued, doctors J.F. Kerr and D.F. Newell 
assessed that she was undernourished, that the bones in her legs were softened and twisted out of normal shape, and that she was suffering from rickets. She was also believed to be deaf as she didn't respond to others. It was later discovered as she recovered that the deafness was functional rather than organic. She additionally could not walk, talk, and showed little signs of intelligence. Once she was determined a ward of the county and placed in the Fayette County home, Anna began improving rapidly. She had gained seven pounds by the end of the summer in 1938, but continued to struggle with simple speech and walking. She was enrolled in the Margaret Durer Judge School for Subnormal Children. By the age of nine, she began developing signs of speech and was approaching social norms. She could respond to simple commands, feed herself, and remember some people, but she still could not speak and had the approximate intelligence of a one-year-old child. A report filed on November 6, 1939, describes her state as follows. Anna walks about aimlessly, makes periodic rhythmic motions of her hands, and at intervals makes guttural and sucking noises. She regards her hands as if she'd seen them for the first time. It was impossible to hold her attention for more than a few seconds at a time, not because of distraction due to external stimuli, but because of her inability to concentrate. She ignored the task in hand to gaze vacantly about the room. Speech is entirely lacking. Numerous unsuccessful attempts have been made with her in the hope of developing initial sounds. I do not believe that this failure is due to negativism or deafness, but that she is not sufficiently developed to accept speech at this time. The prognosis is not favorable. The last report filed regarding Anna dated June 22, 1942, said that she could follow directions, identify a few colors, build with blocks, and differentiate between attractive and unattractive pictures. She had a good sense of rhythm and loved a doll. She talked mainly in phrases, but would repeat words and try to carry on conversations. She habitually washed her hands and brushed her teeth. Death. Anna died on August 6, 1942 at age 10. Her death was caused by hemorrhagic jaundice, a form of jaundice in which injury and anemia are present. There is no cited evidence that her condition was linked to her isolation followed by pneumonia. The Fayette County Commissioners paid for the funeral and burial of Anna in Delaware Cemetery near the Judge School in Milford, where she had last lived. Uh, Such a sad story for this girl. It really is. Comparisons to other cases. Anna's case is commonly compared to the study of another feral child, Isabel, because of the similar upbringings. Anna and Isabel were both raised in isolation for a similar amount of time, but Isabel was able to recover much faster and achieve greater mental development. Isabel was born one month after Anna and was discovered nine months after Anna. Wow, that is pretty close. Similarly to Anna, Isabel was forced into isolation because she was an illegitimate child. (laughs) Oh my god. This is so nuts. During her six and a half years of isolation, Isabel lived with her deaf and mute mother. She had no concept of relationships, no verbal skills, and was malnourished. Following Isabel's discovery, she was hospitalized, and her apathetic behavior was closely monitored. She was then transferred to a ward with children where she became socialized and learned to 
imitate the other children. She also began language training with a skilled team of doctors within 18 months, had gained the understanding and use of an estimated 1,500 to 2,500 words, enabling her to produce complex sentences and correctly use inflection, morphology, pronouns, and prepositions by the age of eight. As soon as a year and a half after her discovery, Isabel was energetic and fully mobile. By 14, she was excelling in public school. The recovery of Isabel is clearly different than Anna. In both cases, they had very low intellectual abilities when they were discovered and introduced into the world. Their differences arise, however, when one considers that two years after Isabel's discovery, she was deemed to be recovered and a fully functioning girl. But prior to Anna's death, she only ever reached the level of socialization of a two or three year old child. The varying recovery between Anna and Isabel is suspected to be the result of Anna having less initial mental capacity prior to isolation or to her receiving a lesser standard of care and verbal training during her recovery than Isabel's team of skilled doctors and physiologists offered her. Some also account Isabel's recovery to the fact that she was in isolation with her mother. However, the exact reason is hard to pinpoint because Anna died at the age of 10 before this could be investigated any further. Another case Anna is commonly compared to is feral child Jeannie. While growing up, Jeannie's father became convinced that Jeannie was severely intellectually disabled, causing him to withhold from her care and attention. At approximately the time she reached the age of 20 months, this belief of Jeannie's father caused him to keep her as socially isolated as possible, and until she reached the age of 13 years and 7 months, he kept her locked alone in a room. During this time, Jeannie was strapped to a child's toilet or bound in her crib. Uh, yikes. Yeah, we learned about this in people. one of my psych what? classes. We learned about this in one of my psych classes, and... Uh, Nobody was good with this. I hate these people. I hate them. I yep. hate them. I hate them. This caused Jeannie's arms and legs to remain completely immobilized. Her father forbade anyone from interacting with her, provided her with almost no stimulation of any kind, and left her severely malnourished and unable to mobilize. The extent of her isolation prevented her from being exposed to any significant amount of speech or human interaction, and as a result, she did not acquire language during her childhood, similar to Anna. Her abuse came to the attention of Los Angeles Child Welfare Authorities on November 4, 1970, and this caused a media frenzy. Following her discovery, Jeannie was followed by scientists, physiologists, and linguists. Jeannie has lived much longer than Anna and is believed to be 60 or 61 years old as of 2017, but she has yet to acquire a functional first language. Unlike Anna, psychologists and linguists continue to frequently discuss Jeannie to this day, and there is considerable academic and media interest in her development and the research team's methods since Jeannie's case has demonstrated the necessity of early language stimulation in the left hemisphere of the brain to start. The discoveries made through Jeannie's following and scientific testing relate to Anna because it explains that Anna's lack of language stimulation during her isolated childhood are the basis for why she was never able to acquire the verbal communication skills expected of her age up until the time of her early death. Her death was most likely linked to her isolation earlier in her life. Citation needed. I don't need a citation to get a time machine and start hunting these people down one after another. And then releasing the girls into the wild where they belong. 
hey, y'all, if you think your kid has a problem, maybe uh, get early intervention instead of locking them in a room. Great advice, Rachel. Thank you. I think the time hunt of these people is even better. If I can, if I can make a time machine work. If you can make it work, perhaps it would be better. This has been the Wikipedia page for Anna Feral Child. Thanks for listening to Wikilisten. You can find us at wikilisten.com and on all social media at Wikilisten, except for Twitter, which is at wiki underscore listen. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button. If there's a particular page you'd like us to read, please let us know. We'll read it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.